everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena, and this episode will be a special edition themed for the week of Veterans Day. And who better to bring on than Dune Nathaniel, who not only represented USA as part of the Under-19 squad that toured Sri Lanka for the 2006 Under-19 World Cup, but went on afterward to serve for a decade in the United States Air Force. So Dune is somebody I've known for quite a while now, and he's one of the most enthusiastic cricketers, not just playing the game, but following the fortunes of the national team and anything to do with cricket. Dune has got his finger on the pulse, and he's somebody who has a tremendous amount of pride in representing america not just on the cricket field but also in the military and there's only a handful of players in the last few decades anyway that have had that dual distinction so what better guest to have on for the week of veterans day than dune nathaniel so we'll have that interview coming up shortly but i want to remind everybody that the stars and stripes cricket podcast presented by dream cricket is also brought to you by moose cricket stadium the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of texas for more information call 713-534-2195 that's moose cricket stadium in Pearland, texas i am honored to be joined today by former usa under 19 world cup squad member from 2006 dune nathaniel dune welcome to the show Thank you. Thanks for having me, Peter. How are you doing today? I'm doing much better than I'm talking to you because I know, <laughs> for people who don't know, you are one of the most passionate followers of the U.S. cricket, U.S. national team, and everything to do with playing cricket in America. You are still a very active player. You captained the Orlando Galaxy in the recently concluded first official season of the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. One of the people who's always got his finger on the pulse of what's going on, whether it's in Florida or anywhere else in the country. And I always appreciate getting a chance to interact with you for that reason, because if, if they were, if they, I always say this, I always say this about various, various people who I know who are the diehards. If we had 10,000 more of you, Janae, cricket would be going in the right direction in this country. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate it. I just love it, man. I love it. <laughs> I know you do love it. <laughs> so, so first off, most recently, being part of the Orlando Galaxy, yes, you sir. had you had a rough start to the season by yes, not being definitely. able to be on the field. For people who aren't aware, you you had COVID, so you yep. had to miss the first four games of the season. But yep, got back on the field, and you captained the Galaxy. You had a quite interesting mix of players in and out of the squad over the course of the season, and I'm just curious, what was your analysis and what were your experiences like being part of the first official season of minor league cricket especially captaining one of the sides yeah so first of all it was a great experience i just want to say i had a good time one of the best tournaments i've been to in a while the milc did a great job i think uh to get all the best players from around the country to participate and go out there and battle for a championship in america with that caliber and all that talent was pretty pretty good the orlando galaxy I appreciate them for giving me the opportunity to represent them and also captain the team. And I think we had a good season. Majority of our players were local out of the Central Florida region. So that was a big plus. That was something we was aiming for is to get all the guys from our area to go out there and get a chance to be seen so that people could know that, hey, look, there's talent all over Florida, not just in South Florida, because everybody thinks all the players in Florida come from South Florida. So 
that was one of the goals of the Atlanta Galaxy to get exposure for the guys playing and to um show showcase some of our youngsters as you see throughout the season we had a 17 year old uh and a couple of 18 years old on the squad so that was the main goal it was a great experience had a good time first time captaining it was a challenge but I learned a lot you know me I love the game so it's always great to be able to lead a team and to let them know hey look you don't have to have a big name superstar on your team in order to win you just need a good group of guys who love the sport and have chemistry and work together on the field you work together on the field you'll see great results as you can see we barely barely miss the playoffs barely now you say you don't need any big name superstars and most of the cricket is focused in Florida, most attention, generally speaking, is paid to South Florida, not Central Florida. The guys in Orlando, the guys in Tampa get ignored. But one, one of the guys, in terms of local cricket, who could be considered a superstar in terms of the context of American cricket, my ah, boy, my boy, going. my guy, you know where I'm going right now, Tim Roy <laughs> Allen. What happened? Where did he disappear oh, to? Because he was supposed to be on the roster, and I show up the first weekend in Lauderhill, and I'm saying to Rahul Joshi, the owner, where's Timroy? Where did Timroy go? Who kidnapped Timroy? Where did he go? Is, did, oh, he, did, did, did his wife kidnap him and order him to go man. back to killing bugs? Where, where did he go? Man, circumstances <laughs> beyond his control. Put it that way. <laughs> That's all I can say, man. Um, I, I mean, you know, you know, to me and Timroy go way back, man. We're close. That's my boy. Once I once he heard about it and he said he was gonna be a part of it, I was like, Timmy. Me and you together, along with the local guys that we have, we are going to go all the way. I said, Timmy, this is the tournament that we've been waiting on, especially myself. I'm like, this is the tournament for us to go out there and show them, hey, look, let's take this home. Time comes around, no Timmy. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it at that. Circumstances beyond his control. <laughs> That's pretty much it. You got to give him a phone call. What was bad for the opponents on the opposite side of the field for the Orlando Galaxy, not having to face Tim Roy was also bad for the termite and pest control community in Central Florida because Tim Roy was on the loose, killing bugs. Get out yep. of the Terminator. He's the Terminator. Yep. Tim Roy, the That's Terminator. Him. Yep. Concrete bully. That's him. It would have been awesome, though, man. Like You, you know, you everybody knows. Everybody, you know what he brings to the table. So, you, you know. So let's see. Maybe we could work on him for next season. You gotta, you gotta buy a couple tubes of Ben Gay for him because uh, last time I talked to him, he said, he said, I'm getting kind of old. He's, I'm getting a bit old. I don't know don't, if I can make it back on the cricket field. I'm getting nah. too old. Don't let him. Don't let Tim Roy fool you, man. Tim Roy is one of those guys that's just he's talented and he's always fit. So don't let that fool you. If you know if it's right, he'll be there. Trust me, you know. <laughs> If it makes sense, he'll be there. Put it that way. What was your favorite part of minor league cricket this first official season? And what would you say is one thing that you would want to see changed to be improved for next season? No, oh, my favorite mind. There's a lot of great moments. My favorite part, I would say my personal favorite part was when we beat Atlanta Fire in the second game. That was a great turning point. Because we were chasing, if I'm not mistaken, I think 60 runs in eight overs against that team. It was not going to be an easy task. So winning that game, that really, really changed everything. Team chemistry-wise, management-wise, it was like, oh, look, guys, we're here. 
we can do this. Let's go out there and fight. We took down one of the big teams. Let's finish the season strong. So that was one of my favorite. A second one was in North Carolina playing the game against um, Cardinals. We had our youngster play that game. And if I'm not mistaken, he got three wickets in that game. That I was so happy. We lost the game very badly. But the fact that he had a chance to showcase his talents on that platform, that was one of my um, second greatest moments. So you will see it. What was your opinion in general of the Morrisville facility there at Church Street Park? Because it is a unique facility in the context of American cricket, for sure. Amazing. Amazing. Man, amazing facility. I, I mean, I've seen it on Facebook. I've seen it on Instagram, social media. You always see it on the TV. But to actually be there and to see it live and to play there, amazing. Top notch. One of the best facilities in the country, hands down. And the community. I've always heard you speak about, oh, you know, the community there, they love the sport. But to actually see it, you, you're not lying. They love their cricket out there. Oh, my. Everybody. One of my favorite quotes I heard from a fan in the crowd during the finals weekend it was the day of the final when the New Jersey Stallions played the Silicon Valley Strikers. And mm -hmm. they had they had around 1,500 people there, maybe somewhere between 1,500 and 1,700, 1,800. Yeah, and it, good. It, good. It, it looks fantastic, whether it's in person or on TV, on the web stream, whatever. It's, yeah. it's just a very special atmosphere. And one of the people who was there, who, like yourself, is a very avid follower of whether it's domestic cricket in the U.S. or the USA national team, I asked him, what do you think of this? And he was there yeah. the day before, and the day before the crowd was significantly smaller. It was still a good crowd for U.S. cricket standards, but it was smaller. But the final, it felt like the respect was there from the fans to make it feel like a special occasion, like a true final. And he said, what this guy said was, when I, when I asked, you know, what do you think of this? I, I was just leave it open-ended. I don't want to put words in people's mouths. And he said, well, what do you mean? What, what do I think of this? I don't know what, to, what, what you want me to say. I said, we'll say anything. And he says, it's special when I come here to a place like this. And he had never been there before this finals weekend. He said, coming here, it makes me feel good because for so long when I'm at home following the U.S. national team or watching Mono League or whatever, I feel like if I'm on Twitter or if I'm on Facebook, I feel like I'm maybe one of 20 or 25 people who actually cares about cricket and the national team. Cause you see the pictures and you see the video from other grounds and yeah, nobody shows up. It's, it's very discouraging yeah. and it's, it's not what you envision. Every, you envision every place to be like Morrisville. And this, unfortunately the reality is not every place is like Morrisville. And he says, when I come here today, now I feel like, I'm not one of 20 or 25 people on Facebook who yeah. just responded to everything. Now I feel like, oh my God, there are people around the country. There is a place like Morrisville that does exist in, in the flesh, on the ground. It's not some utopian vision that we have to dream about like 20 or 30 years from now. It's happening yeah. today. And it, it, he said it, it gives him hope that, hey, if this can happen in Morrisville, again, of all the places in America, you know, yeah. not New York City, not San Francisco, not, not Dallas, not Houston, not Fort Lauderdale, Morrisville, tiny Morrisville, suburb of Raleigh, right? If this can happen in Morrisville, 
he's saying, why can't it happen? And all those other places just say, and so it gives him hope, gives him optimism, gives him a renewed sense of purpose, just as a fan. Again, this is somebody who was a fan. He's not an administrator. He's not a player, but when you, when you're a fan, you want to feel like you're part of a community. You want to feel like you're part of something and connected to people who are all sharing the same vision and supporting the same team. And a lot of times people don't get that validation in the U S so to get that validation when that you come to awesome. Barnesville, and, and it's so fascinating to hear you say that, again, from a player's perspective, you go to Lauder Hill, you go to other places, nobody shows up, but you go to Marsville, like and you, you, you felt you experienced it yourself as a player, which, which is special. It was awesome. Like I said, man, even the hospitality. The hospitality was awesome. Man, lovely, man. Field, pitch, I mean, umpires, everything. And they had kids there. You know, you know what's crazy? It was the craziest part was seeing how many kids was out there running the boundaries, just as spectators, or they were, probably they were there for the local uh, clubs or whatever, but they were out there loving the game, cheering it on. So it was like, wow, what an atmosphere, man. And that's part of why they've got so much support, whether it's for Church Street Park getting that built or getting further facilities built in the pipeline. Another thing that's unique about Marshall, like you said, kids, you know, the, yeah. where, where and how our facility is going to get built in America? What municipality is going to support building new cricket fields and good cricket fields if it's just a bunch of 40 and 50 year old men coming out on a Saturday and Sunday they're not going to do that nobody cares you have to see return on your investment in the form of kids and families in the community getting involved and that's again what makes Marsville so successful as a model for other communities around USA to take that blueprint and try and apply it to their own communities because that's the the vehicle and that's the model that's going to make cricket grow, whether it's from a playing standpoint, when you get kids involved and you get the playing numbers up starting at the youth level or getting facilities built and constructed with municipal money instead of it being some rich benefactor that you're waiting to arrive when wave their no, magic I'm... wand and go into their pocket to build yeah. a facility out of their, their own. Breaking that curse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So there's just so many good things. And I'm, I, I, I find it fascinating to hear your thoughts on it since you got to experience it firsthand. Yeah, during it was the awesome, course. man. It was awesome. Minor it's like season. top five. Top five in the country, for sure. Well, if you, sp- you speak to the people, Marshall, they'll tell you it's not top five. It's number one. Maybe top three? Uh, number one? <laughs> man, I, I'll say top three. How about that? Top well, what, are the, what are the other two that are better? I want to hear this. I'm not going to say better, but top three. Three top facilities to me that I've played at, me, in no particular order, Musa, Morrisville, and Prairie View. That's my opinion from playing at all of them. Those are my top three. And that, that tells Overall. You, that now, Fort Lauderdale is lovely. Don't get me wrong. Fort Lauderdale is lovely. And Woodley Park in LA, lovely. But I'm talking about just everything in general. Those are the top three combined well it shows how spoiled houston is that they have two oh, know. two very good oh. facilities in the greater metropolitan area moose stadium which is in Perron, south of downtown houston about half hour south of houston and then you've got prairie view which is about an hour west on the western suburbs that so prairie view is different <laughs> very very yeah contrasting facilities very different very different <laughs> but they've they've both got very good things to offer 
whether it's yep. as players or anybody else who wants to get involved. And then you're putting some pressure on the people in Waterhill and you're putting some pressure on the people in Los Angeles. They got to step up their game. You can't be taking will. For, I, I you think can't take will. for granted. You can't just t- build a facility and take it for granted and think people are gonna appreciate it. You gotta you got some competition now. Yeah, definitely. But you know what? Whatever happened to the one in um the one that we were at for the ICC channel was that at combines? Indianapolis. It's so that sad. was that would have been one as well. It it was, I mean, at the time six years ago. Oh, yeah. I know what I remember the story. I remember. The, the meal was on here with you. I remember the story with that one. I mean, it's, it's special. At the time, it was get there. And, and not just, again, not just the field. This is something that a lot of people forget about. But you were there. You would know. It's not just the yeah, field. And that the was The Nets. I never forgot when me and Tim White came off the bus, we were like, wait, where are we again? What? This is here? Well, I never heard about this. It was like, wait a minute. What? It's incredible. You had the field, but then the nets, you had eight or 10 nets, tur- yep. a mix of turf and artificial. Awesome. You had just, it wasn't just, and a lot of facilities in Morrisville, this is one fault I would say of Morrisville. If there is something that could be done in the future to enhance the facility or make it more closer to what you would see in other places overseas or, mm-hmm. or like it was in Indianapolis, a lot of places in the US that are that kind of top tier facility. It's just, it's just the ground itself. You just got the ground, everything inside the boundary rope. Yeah, Indianapolis yeah, yeah. had the added benefit of you had practice facilities, turf wicket yeah. practice facilities dedicated off the wicket. You didn't have to have center wicket practice. You could have the guys in the nets working on stuff in the meantime. Yeah, I remember good stuff. And it's just a shame that the facility has been neglected and there hasn't really been any activity there in several years now, but Maybe now with minor league cricket, there could be some more incentive to push for that facility to be revived because when it was in use, it was fantastic. Awesome. So, Dene, I want to go back for people who aren't aware of your story. You share many things in common with Hayden Walsh Jr. For, yeah. for, for people who are not aware, you are actually related. You are cousins. Yeah, that's my cousin. So, Hayden Walsh Jr., like Hayden Walsh Jr., you were also born in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. And like Hayden Walsh Jr., after being born in the Virgin Islands, you grew up in Antigua. So take us through how you got into cricket. Pretty much, I was born in St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. And I uh, was raised in Antigua, like you just said. So growing up in Antigua, we would play cricket, obviously. Play cricket in the yard with your family and friends. I think I told you this before, but my uncle told my mom, hey, there's a Katie Cricket camp down at the bus. I think you should send me and my little brother, Amal. They always been cricket. He always sees me cricket. So she said, no problem. She signed us up. And we went down there and we played over there. You know, it was a kit set. He had a whole bunch of legends over there. Kirkley Ambrose, he had a Brandon Watley, Rafi Joseph. I mean, you name the list. They were all out there. And we were just playing out there and training. And we did that for a couple of years. And then we transitioned from kiddie cricket, where the coach, there was one coach at kiddie cricket. His name was Pernell Joseph Rossi. He um, mentioned that there is um, practice for the older guys over at Factory, which is a ground headed out east. And once I went there, that was pretty much like, oh my goodness, look at all these players here playing, you know, the big boys. and from there on, it was a wrap. 
but it pretty much it started with kitty cricket down at the bus station and playing from there then i went to the camp up at the factory ground and from there i did well enough to play for antigua on 13 15 and i actually was at trials on the 19 right before i moved to america so it was in my blood i played for my school clay hall secondary school played for them we won a couple of championships it on the 19 and on the 16 while i was there and that was it for me, man. Cricket all day, every day. Cricket all day, every day. And I have a lot of family members who played cricket too. So it was easy. My dad played, uncle played, you know, my cousin, famous server, he played. He was just all around me, man. So action, action all day, every day. Now, in the past, when I did a previous interview, you way back when, for Dream Cricket, you were quite shy about mentioning I didn't want yeah, Richards. That. They don't want nobody to know, man. I, that's how I was back then. I didn't want nobody to say, oh, he's using this to play this or whatever. I was wanting to make it on my talent and my talent only. That's just how my mentality was when I was younger coming up. And I was just like, uh, I didn't want nobody to know. That slipped out. And then I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Peter was like, wait, wait, what? Now the don't cat's out of the bag. There's no going back. <laughs> yeah. So so talk about that a little bit. I'm curious. You grew up in a, a small tight-knit community in Antigua and as part of that yeah your cousins your relative your your family relations with Viv Richards you have Hayden Wallace Jr. as, an, as another cousin distant cousin yeah. and you went I know you spent some time going to his dad's technical academy Hayden oh, Walsh oh man Jr.'s yes how can I forget academy. about that Hayden Walsh technical cricket academy amazing that was every weekend religiously we would go over there and we would practice. And, and that was another stepping stone. Um, Richie Richardson, um, Hayden Walsh, his dad, rest in peace. It was awesome. He had all the kids from around the island who would meet up there. Who couldn't have transportation to make it would all meet up in the area and he organized a bus and everything. And religiously, every Saturday morning, it would be me and guess who? Adrian Gordon, every weekend, religiously going to the Hayden Walsh Technical Cricket Academy in Antigua. Yep. There's another guy. So for people who aren't aware of the, yeah. the, the, the people who aren't the diehards, Dune. Oh, Adrian, they won't know who Adrian Gordon, is. Adrian yeah. Gordon is another player who, who represented USA in 2010. Yep. He played for USA as a fast bowler. You've got also, I, I want to say, I'm not 100%, Regis Burton. How, how well Regis. did you know Regis Burton? We're just close. I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not 100% sure. We grew up together. I mean, from kids growing up together. I'm not 100% sure if we're related, but we might be cousins. But yeah, a lot of talent in the family. A lot of talent. Well, because he's because he's related to Faith Richards. Mm -hmm. I think it's his so uncle. Definitely then. So there, there you go. Everybody. <laughs> so of, of all these people that you got to rub shoulders with, again, Regis Burton was a USA under-19 player in 2010 who, who went to the World Cup in New Zealand four years after you went to Sri Lanka with USA. You mentioned Adrian Gordon, Hayden Walsh. You, you're a few years older than Hayden Walsh. You're 34 right now, so you're a couple years older than Hayden Walsh. But being around everybody who was at the academy, you, you mentioned Richie Richardson. Of all of these people who you were around growing up, whether it was as coaches or as peers, who would you say is the most influential figure in your development as a cricketer? I mean, everybody's always influential because they all give you pointers, they all give you tips. I mean, they all try to help you as you go. But I always say that I think the main person that I always say, you know what, if it wasn't for this guy, I don't think I would be involved as much. I would have to go with my 
secondary school coach, Roxy Joseph, Colonel Joseph. He, he was the coach for our team in um, Clay Hall Secondary School in Antigua. And the five years that I was there, I learned a lot from him. Now, don't get me wrong, I learned a lot from everybody. So a lot of people in Antigua who helped me, coached me, tips. I mean, I learned from them all. Andy Roberts, you know what I mean? Richie Richardson, Ridley Jacobs, you name them. Dave Joseph, I learned from all of the guys over there. But the main person would be him. He saw something early, very, very early, and he stuck with me throughout. So I'd have to give him props. So you spent all this time growing up in Antigua. You said you, you were a member of the underage group squads for Antigua and, and Leeward mm-hmm. Islands. But after a certain point, your part of the family decided to move to Florida. You were 16 years old when you moved to Florida. At that point, did you feel that cricket would still be possible? Or, or what kind of knowledge did you have of the scale of cricket in America at that point in time? Zero. None. Me and my mom had a massive argument because I told her I'm not going to America. I say I'm staying here. I want to play for Antigua. I want to play Leeward Islands and hopefully play for West Indies. I say I don't want to go to college. I don't want to go overseas. I want to just stay here and play cricket. And that's after me. That year, I tried to put on the 19 team that year, you know, at the recreation ground. I never forget. This was down there. And I felt very good that I was going to make that squad to represent in the Leo Downs tournament. And I got the news, hey, you're going to go to Florida. You're going to go to Orlando, Florida to um, get an education. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no. So I had no knowledge of cricket America. I just felt like all my dreams were chattered. I'm 15 years old. And I'm like, I'm going to America for the first time. I don't know nobody here except my aunt. My life is over. And I moved to Florida. <laughs> 2002 2003 2003 yeah i think it was summer summer 2003 is when i moved to florida yes summer 2003 moved to florida but then three years later you find yourself on a plane going to sri lanka for the under yep. world cup so take yep. us through that journey from from leaving antique and thinking the door has been so, shut on your cricket ambitions to then getting into the usa under 19 team how did that process evolve so I moved to Florida in 2003. I ended up, um, ended up going back to school, you know, trying to get better, educate. So I forgot about cricket, pretty much. I was playing soccer. I picked up soccer. I played soccer and cricket back in the day. I said, you know what? I ain't playing no cricket. There's no cricket in here. Let me play soccer. I bet you I to do something with soccer. So I started playing soccer, and that was my pastime. School, soccer, school, soccer. What were and you? What, what, what position were you? Oh, I was striker, center forward. I played center forward for Osceola High School. Yeah, Osceola High School in Kissimmee, Florida. Yeah, never I had the red cap of shoes on. That's me. <laughs> I was really quick, <laughs> really quick. So um, it ha- maybe like a month and a half, two months after being here, I got a knock at the door. I'm on I live with my aunt. So I go to the door and I'm like, this guy has on um, cricket, cricket whites. I'm like, nah, I say no way. So I say, hey man, you play cricket? His name was Dwayne Daniels. I say, hey, you play cricket? He's like, yeah. Why? You play? Bro, I was like, oh my God. I started running around the house. I'm like, no 
play. I was like, what the hell? I was like, what you mean? Of course I play. I'm like, they play cricket here in America? It's like, yeah. He's like, where you from? I said, Antigua. He said, me too. I said, what? No way. He's like, yeah, we have a game right now. You want to come play? Hell yes. I said, aunt, aunt, can I go play? She's like, yeah, go ahead. That was it. Now, did you actually have any cricket kit with you? Did you leave all your kit behind? No, nope, I had I had nothing. No cricket gifts, no bat, nothing. I left everything home. I was done with cricket. There is no cricket in America. I've never heard of cricket in America. Basketball, football, that's it. No, no cricket. Baseball. This man said yes. Never forget. Caribbean Sports Club. Go over to the field at Tacker Avenue. This is back in the day. They gave me uniform, too big for me. I mean, I was a little kid and they said, hey, go ahead, let's do what you got. And that was it. I played and they were like, holy moly, this guy's pretty good. And that was it. Played with them and then I got picked up. The local guys like, oh my goodness, you see the young player playing for Caribbean, you see the young player playing for Caribbean. And back then I was a fast bowler. So I used to bowl really fast back then. So it was like, oh my goodness, they have the one fast bowler that's bowling really quick and he got back. That was the, the story going around. And then eventually I got picked up for the under 19 for the Southeast region. That was it. Now going into the Southeast region squad, were you aware that you could potentially represent USA? All I knew was, Hey man, they have an under 19 team and we want you to be part of it. And they selected me and Anil, another guy from um, central Florida, Anil Diopasard, leg spinner. And they said, you guys are going to represent um, Florida in the um, under 19 tournament. And I was like, wait a minute, what? They got more people playing? <laughs> they got more kids playing? I was like, I only know me, Anela, his brother, James, and Michael. I don't know the youngster around here playing. So when they said that, we went out there, and it's like, oh, my goodness. There's a whole bunch of other teams there. I mean, there's like four or five teams there. It's called regionals back then. You remember regionals? Yeah. I was like, wow, there's a lot of teams. We went out there. Now, this is fascinating to me to hear you kind of retell all this because – 2003-2004, you know, it sounds like it's not that long ago. It's only 17, 18 years. But in that time frame, the internet was still fairly young. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, like it was. a common thing where you could just like you do nowadays, where you just Google everything. You just go on and find find oh. your nearest club, just enter, you know, Orlando Cricket or, you know, South Central Florida Cricket League, whatever. That's, I don't think that was the case at that point in time. So if you don't even, you're not even aware of, cricket locally the concept of other kids playing in new york or chicago or los angeles that's like way 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 beyond so what was that experience like then the first time going to a regional or a national under 19 tournament and seeing kids your age actually playing and competing for spots to get picked for the u.s national team it was crazy first of all i was in heaven just to find cricket here and I was just thinking, I can't wait till next Sunday. Can't wait till next Sunday. Sunday, I got another game. So it was Sunday to Sunday. Then they say, hey, look, we want you to represent the region. You know, here you go. It's a bunch of you guys are going to put the team together. You're going to go play. So we, we get to, they announce the team and everything. And they say, hey, look, um, you have to go to, it was L.A., right? Never forget, Woodley Park. Love that. Love Woodley Park. So we go to LA. Then you meet some of these guys for the first time. Like, it's like, hey, 
these 16 guys, you guys are going to go represent the Southeast region. Here you go. <laughs> you show up and you're like, hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> oh, what do you do? That's how it was. Like, hey, what do you do? And um, I think our, um, our manager was um, Barney Jones, rest in peace. You know, remember Barney, selector. And then we had Nazir Charlie Javid as the manager. Those were the two guys in charge. And we show up and, you know, all the guys show up and we're there talking to each other. And they were like, who's this guy? You know, they didn't really know who I was. So introduce myself and everything. And Barney's telling them, oh, this guy, let him open the ball. You know, and everybody's like, what? Like, we don't know who you are. So they ask everybody what they do. So I tell them, hey, you know, my name is Dwayne Daniel. You know, I'm from Orlando. Fast bowler. I could bat a little bit. Pretty much it. So me and Anil, we're laughing because Anil knows because I played him in the region. He already know what I could do. And we're looking around and seeing the other, we get to the field, we're seeing the other teams playing and everything. And we go out, we look at the pitch. And I'm like, man, they have a pitch here. The first thing I said, I said, wait. I said, to the pitch. <laughs> so I look at him, I say, yo, I say, I'm going to kill somebody because this looks good. So we're laughing because all we're playing on is Madden. Madden, you gotta back home, you roll a Madden out and you gotta nail it down and stretch it the right way. So that's all we know is that. So they get to LA and I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen this since I was in Antigua. This is, this is gonna be great. Then they give me a kookaburra ball. Man, I'm like, what? Hell, two slips, two gully. Let's go. That's it. And I, remember, I never forget. I bowled like the first two balls, and everybody was like, oh my God, who is this guy? And there was a rap from there. That was it. Gone. Awesome tournament. Two of the people you mentioned in there, oh. Barney, Barney Jones and Charlie Javid. And Charlie. Again, for people who don't know, Barney Jones played for USA way back when and also was uh, chairman of selectors for USA. Mm -hmm. And Charlie Javid. It's a former USA Cricket Association board member back in the USACA era, mm -hmm. but also played. He had a very distinguished career for USA as a leg spinner. Leg spin, yeah. And so <laughs> two prominent people in the context of U.S. cricket administration and U.S. cricket playing in history. But as a teenager, did you have any concept of this? Did you understand no. who you were dealing with or no? No, I don't know. I don't know anything. All I know is cricket. That's all I knew is cricket. I what? mean, it was like a case of like, did you have any idea? Or were you even thinking that far ahead in terms of like, hey, if, if I impress these guys, nope. these guys are connected to selection and administration, like I could be going places or you were just playing to play? I was just happy to play cricket back then. I didn't even, I didn't know nothing about that stuff. I would just say, let's go play. Let's go have fun. Let's strategize. Let's just try to win this game. I never knew about like the other teams and stuff because he had played against them before. Anil was here, obviously. He grew up here, so he played against them. So he would inform me, like, hey, look, we got to watch out for New York. That was one of the things he kept saying. You got to watch out for New York. The other teams, they're all right. But New York, we got to watch out for them. That's when you got to show yourself, is what he was always saying throughout the tournament. So he had an idea of what was going on. I was just happy to play. So you talk about New York. Was there a performance against New York or a performance against any other team specifically that you can think of that? you felt vaulted you into contention heading into yes. the 2005 under-19 World Cup qualifier yes. up in Canada. 
Definitely, because I mean that tournament I ended up with the the best bowler at the tournament. I think I had most wickets in the economy. I got like three wickets the first game, four here. I was getting wickets. It was it was nothing because the guys were scared. They were scared because I was bowling quick. But New York had some real talent. They had Herman Punu. Remember Punu? Punu, who for team. people who don't know, Herman Punu mm-hmm. went on to captain the USA under nineteen team. He, I believe, he grew up in uh, Guyana before coming over to the U.S. and um, settling in New York. And you had Akeem Dodson. In the, Akeem in the Dodson. Team. Everybody know Akeem Dodson. You know what he does. Then you had um, William Perkins. A lot of people didn't, don't know that William Perkins was playing here. This was the great regret, I guess, for lack of a better word, that some people don't know about. <laughs> you You knew about it full well, but William Perkins. Oh, yeah. Been an awful that's lot of all time. you kept hearing. Yeah. That's all, William, and that's another thing. And Neil kept telling me, yo, you got to watch out for William Perkins. Watch out. And Barney's like, hey, man, New York has William Perkins. And that's all you're hearing. I'm like, yo, who the hell is William Perkins? But like, bro, why is everybody freaking out for this one guy? And then you hear, oh, Perkins scored 100. <laughs> Perkins scored 60. I'm like, ah, okay. So I wanna, that kept uh, going around. I want to go back to Perkins. We'll get to Perkins a little bit more. There's a, a wider context, a little bit further <laughs> on I want to get to. But Perkins, yeah, William Perkins, who has played for the West Indies, a lot of people don't know, he, he played a lot of developmental cricket in New York, New Jersey. And he was yeah. in the pipeline looking to potentially get picked for the USA under-19 team. Peace. And he was a permanent resident. And I think he still is a permanent resident. But he wound up doing well enough essentially in the USA junior scene to get picked for the West Indies under 19 at the time of the world cup. But at the time you said he was playing for New York. So, yeah. you know, taking on New York, like those performances, it, would you say it was a performance against New York or is there some other game specifically that you think really. It was that one was the highlight, but I had performances up until then, but that game was the highlight game because obviously everybody's like, yo, so these got Dune who's bowling quick. And New York has William Perkins. Nobody knows who Dune is. Everybody knows who William Perkins is. They saw what I've been doing throughout the stages, and then boom, here we go. Finals, you have Southeast region versus New York. And the captain of the team. We're strategizing and stuff. And Nilla's like, hey, man, today's the day. You know what you got to do. They got like two or three guys. We get some quick wickets. We're done, right? Perfect. Oh, no problem. We got a good solid team. We got a bunch of guys from all over the country. We got Francis. We got Dean. And we got the guys from Atlanta. We got Bell. So we're like, yo, let's go out there. Teamwork. Make it work. So I'm marking up my run, right? My run stays the same. I have a 10, 14, and a 16. I mark 10. I mark 14. I mark 16. Start off with the 10. You know, one or two deliveries. Make sure my line is correct. Then I'll work my way back to the 14. And depending on how I'm feeling, how the pitch is working, I'll give you the 16, right? I'm marking. I see William Perkins walking out with no helmet. I'm like, wait, it's like, what? So I go to Nils, and then he not gonna wear a helmet? And then I said, nah, bro. He he's a big, he's a big shot. I say, you know, I'm gonna hit him, right? He said, hey, bro, do what you gotta do. I said, all right. So I go to the umpire. I said, um, the bathroom doesn't have a helmet on. Umpire said he doesn't have to wear a helmet. I said, all right, cool. <laughs> Fine. I walk right back to the 16 mark. I'm skipping 10 
I'm skipping 14 today because this guy is this guy is crazy. First ball, Peter, first ball I bolted. I put everything in that delivery. I hit him with a short one. Ah! And he, nope, and he fell back on the ground. And I was like, I'm going to kill you today. Then he says, off of the helmet. Get the helmet. And I said, oh, smart. I'm thinking myself, smart guy. Then I came back again and I hit him again and he chipped, got a four. And back and forth, we battled throughout the game. I finally set him up, right? <laughs> Edge <laughs> to my boy, it slips. He dropped him. <laughs> yeah. And he went on and scored, like, I think he scored like 30 something until later on, um, Brigitte got him up. But when he dropped, and I was like, oh, he might have just dropped the championship. But yeah, that was that's that was how that went. And we ended up beating them in the end. Uh, I got like four or five wickets that game. I bought eight overs and he um Anil told me to come off. And I'm like, yo, dude, why are you gonna take me off? Let me keep bowling. He's like, no, I'm gonna save you because I'm gonna need you in the end. We argued, we argued, I went off. Long story short, a couple of wickets fell. He gave me the ball to end the game, and I got the tail enders out, ended it four wicket. But that was a great, that was a great final because you're not really paying attention during the game because you're focusing on winning. And it's New York, they're the best team for a couple of years running up until then. But the best part about that, if you ask any of the guys who were there, was you had the national, it was the on the 19 tournament going on, along with the national men's tournament. So their game got done early. And New York senior team had won. So they all were around the boundary watching this game. You had Steve Messiah. I mean, you had all of them. Kong, everybody over there looking. Clay. And it's like, what an atmosphere that was at Woodley Park. So that was how that went. And after that tournament, obviously, you know what happened after them. They announced their squad and you get picked for the USA under 19 team for people who not, not as familiar with us cricket history, 2005 entering that tournament, you are not really going to be considered anything close to being a, a favorite because as recently as a few years earlier, USA had lost to Argentina in group play in the under 19 qualifier. So huh? to think of where USA is regarded nowadays as an under 19 team, any and a men's yeah, team where mm-hmm. it's it's always neck and neck, head to head with Canada. It's a very intense rivalry. That wasn't the case heading into that 2005 qualifier. And as more evidence that typically what happens in these under 19 tournaments in recent times, they save the USA versus Canada matchup until the final day of group play because they want to build up to it. So USA might play Argentina early, Canada might play Argentina early, and Cayman Islands or Bahamas or Argentina, whatever, and then Bermuda. And then you build up, you build up all this drama and this tension heading into the final day matchup. That 2005 tournament, you guys played Canada on the first day because that didn't exist. It was just, hey, USA is showing up. They're not really going to be threatening. And on on the opening day of the tournament, (laughs) on the opening day of the tournament, you guys stun Yep. Canada, you beat them by 39 runs. So take me back to the, to the summer of 2005, August 2005. I've heard, and again, as an indication of kind of the state of affairs of USA cricket at the time, 
this was right around the time USA Cricket Association itself had been suspended or was about to be suspended because Mm -hmm. of poor administration and some issues to do with the men's team. There was a controversy in terms of how the men's national team had been selected for a tournament and a, a battle administratively between who had the authority to select the squad. And that was partially what triggered the first of the three USAC suspensions. So leading into it, there was some doubt whether the under-19 teams would even be allowed to participate. And then I heard, I don't know how true this is or not, but the uniforms didn't exactly arrive on time where the uniforms that you did have, they were just like, they showed up on the morning of the first game. It was yeah, very, down the day off. Everything was very, very last minute about how all this was arranged because there was so much up in the air. Yeah, to, they weren't sure. They weren't 100% sure it was going to go. That's what it was. So you've got all this chaos and this uncertainty leading into it, so much unknown. And then you guys get the last minute word, you're going to be allowed to participate. And you go up there and not just participate, you beat Canada yeah. on the opening day. So take me through everything that was in the buildup, the lead up, what was going on mentally in terms of the preparation and what you were being told and not being told in terms of what would be happening. And then to all that uncertainty to then go in and and play the way you did, not just against Canada, but throughout the tournament to finish as champions. Take me through that whole experience. I I put it this way. Back then, you know, 16, 17 years old, 17, 18, whatever the age was back then, me personally, I wasn't thinking about none of that. So I'm pretty sure the other guys, they weren't thinking about that. I think we were just so happy because remember they had a they had a group of players that they picked, like an all-stars um, list that they picked on the whole tournament. So when they announced the team after everything and said, hey, this is the team that's going to represent the USA on 19 in Canada. Yes, it was last minute and stuff. All I cared about was like, wow, I got picked. So all I'm thinking in my mind is like, look, I got picked to represent the USA in this tournament in Canada. Yes, it's late. Yes, it's last minute. But back then, I'm not thinking about nothing else. Suspension, nothing. I'm just like, yo, I'm going to go play cricket. So once we got there, this was the kicker. They picked a very good team. Like, it was like Abby Manu Rajiv. It was like Puno, Dotson. I mean, I was like, wow, they literally picked the best players from the tournament. When we get there, we all get together and we're like, oh my goodness, hey, what's up, man? Dude, you. It was like, oh man, yo, we are gonna kill. That's all we were thinking, yo, we are gonna kill. Cause we we have a good team. We had what's his name again? Dominique Ordain from New York, quick bowler. You had myself, quick bowler, open the bowling, you have Kuno, and you have Anil, you have all these guys come together in Canada, we won't, We didn't even care who the opposition was. We just wanted to get up there and go on the field and play. And that's what we did. Canada, Canada thought they was going to have a, a walk over because they were the kings all over, but they didn't expect to lose to us, especially like that. But we went out there to kill, pretty much. After battling it out in L.A., we, we went out there to kill. And we shot them. We stunned them. <laughs> You did by 39 runs. USA scored 246 and 50 overs. I think we, I think we, we went undefeated. We went undefeated that tournament. We went undefeated, yeah. You started off 246 against Canada, and you bowled them out for 207. Your your friend, your boy, Anil Dio Prasad, took three for 44 to help lead USA in the field. You took one for 26. You opened with the new ball. Uh, one of the other guys you didn't mention, 
who was con- significant in victory was the man of the match. Robbie Timberwalla. Robbie, oh. I don't know. Robbie Timberwalla, the opening pass man. Yo, man, Rob, yo. Robbie's a talent, man. The Robbie. <laughs> Robbie's a talent. Top scored. I forgot about him. He opened the batting. Yeah. Opened the batting. Top scored with 67. Scored 67 mm-hmm. in the USA total. And that helped. And and I think he may have been the youngest player in the squad. I think he was only 15 at the time. Oh, he, he, was, was. he was one of the youngest players, if not the youngest player in the team, because he was solid. Considered a prodigy coming out of Los Angeles. Yes. So you qualify. What was the buildup to the World Cup and going off to Sri Lanka like? So just like just like the Canada, once we realized what we did, because we didn't we didn't know what we'd do. We just wanted to win. We're not thinking like, oh my goodness, we made it, we made it to the World Cup. After you won the whole tournament, they start saying, Oh my goodness, you guys are going to the World Cup. You qualified, you beat Canada. So they're starting to sink in. I'm like, wait a minute, we wanted on the 19 World Cup. Like, yep. So that was crazy. Celebrating, like we can't believe what's gonna happen. You know, we get the letters. I still have my letter, the official letter uh, from Selwyn Caesar back then. And, you know, he sent you the letter you got to give to your parents. You know, your, your son has been selected to represent USA in the 2006-19 World Cup. So we're all excited. We're all happy to go. And then they announced the group. <laughs> I never forget when they announced the group. And we were like, yeah, let's go. We're ready. They're like, the, I think the headline was USA uh, face baptism of fire. It was something weird like that headline was. I'm like, what? And then you look into the group and you're like, really? They randomly got us with Australia, West Indies, and South Africa. I said, like, how is it? We're like, how do you even, how do they select this? I'm like, what? They was like, oh, Jesus. They put us in a rough group. So that had us thinking, we're like, oh my goodness, it's good for us to go out there and get exposure, but man, we're going up against the Giants. I mean, this is 2006. I mean, you know what West Indies had on their team. They had Pollard and they had Perkins, your boy, which we'll get back to. I mean, they had Gajan Singh. I mean, they had Kimar Rowe. I mean, you name it. The, the team is packed. Sunil Narine. Team is packed. You had Sunil Narine. Everybody. Fletcher. I mean, Brooks, you name it, they were there. Australia has some talent, too. Today's episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. Located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perryland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288 and a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. We'll start with the West Indies team. So top to bottom, looking at the scorecard right now for the USA. Mm-hmm. Oh, team. boy. <laughs> so USA against West Indies. USA lost that game by 87 runs. West Indies made 302 for seven. So so Perkins opened the batting. William Perkins opened the batting, went on to play. Perkins, 140. A couple of matches at senior level for the West Indies. Scored 133 mm-hmm. uh, in that game. Innings. Gajanan Singh, Jason Muhammad, squad was captained by Leon Johnson. Then you had, like you said, Kyron Pollard, Shamar Brooks. You had Kamar Roach, Sunil Narayan. The names. So there's, there's an awful lot of talent there. They score 302. 
USA actually made made quite a good fight of it. Now, now USA was bowled out for two fifteen, yeah. but at one stage, Kunu and um, Dotson, they, they had were a, going. They had a 90, 88 run partnership. The USA was two for one forty one for two at one point, chasing that total, and they looked like there was a chance that they could track it down. Kunu captain sport yeah. sixty five of fifty two balls. But going back to the first innings, now I've spoken to people who are a part of this tour. And they say the match was lost in the first innings, specifically by your boy, Anil Dioprasad, because you oh had... Oh, my goodness. My boy. You had, boy, uh, my you had boy. Dominic Aldean. Dominic Aldean opening the bowling. My boy. He got, <laughs> you, uh, West Indies were eight for two. Dominic Aldean took two, on fire. two quick wickets, bowling with a new ball, bowling rockets. And he, he yeah. bounces Perkins on zero. Perkins has yet to Hit score. Perkins with the short ball. Perkins he bumps him. Shot. He Never forget, him. went up in the air. And your boy, yep. Dio Prasad, what happened? I can see it right now. Way. Dominique's on fire, man. Because Dominique is quick, and he's nippy, and he swings the ball both ways, in and out. Boom, boom, back to back. We're like, oh, let's go, let's go. You know, we got him. All we got to do is get a couple more wickets. Let's get into the tail, you know. Dominique comes. Because we know Perkins. Of course, Dominique knows Perkins because they play on the same team. They play in New York. So here, what he has in his mind, what he's going to do, he has a game plan. He hits Perkins with the short ball. Perkins goes to the pull shot. He's late, straight up in the air. My boy Stella's under it, and he put it down. <laughs> now, now, on a scale of 1 to 10, how easy was this chance? Uh, <laughs> look, everybody's different. Everybody catches different, so I don't know. I don't know what he would tell you, but he put it down. <laughs> Let's leave it that way. He put it down. And the rest is history. <laughs> so dropped, dropped on zero, dropped on not. William Perkins goes on to make 133. 140. Okay, and, 143, uh, not out? 133 is what it says here on the scorecard. And 133. And everybody I talked to who was associated with the team says, man, if, if Anil had held on to that catch – Everybody says they, they could have. They felt like they could have. They could have. We could have. They had some other batters to come, but it could have been a different ball game. Maybe they don't score three something. Maybe they score 200. You never know. Well, Gajanand Singh, who has recently yeah. made his <sighs> USA senior team debut, he made 65. Yeah, he came in and he hit a bunch of sixes. What a guy. He hit Especially. six fours and three sixes, so he helped yep. give a boost at the end of the innings. Kyron Pollard came in. Right at the end, there was only a couple hours left, 11 off six balls, trying to hit some quick runs at the end there. Well, I was a monster, dude. Even back then, he was a monster. So that, that was who he came up against in the match against the West Indies. And then you have less than 24 hours to think about what just happened. You come up against South Africa under 19s. They were captained by Dean Elgar and also featured Craig Keyswetter, who went, actually went on and had a very – good career yep. not a long career but a good career short short but good career with england yep. before he was forced to retire due to injury i believe he had an eye injury you had some pretty good players coming up against in the south africa team and almost a similar situation you had south africa yep. 101 for five in the 27th over so you got him halfway down you're sniffing like hey you got a chance to to bowl these guys do something special here and what happens dean algar scores 79 of 72 and craig keys with our 80 of 66 they put on 153 on partnership, you know, and I, I witnessed this in 2010 firsthand as well, mm. where there wasn't an awful lot to separate the talent 
for the USA players versus the test nation players at that age. But what I noticed when I saw the USA in 2010 and, and almost identical USA played Australia and USA played South African group play in 2010 in New Zealand. What was the difference? It was the amount of repetition and the amount of opportunities these guys had to play yes. that they had a little, just a little bit more experience that when they got in those situations, they knew how to get out of them and they knew how to, they knew how to dig their way out to 50 overs. Whereas the USA guys struggled in that situation because they were not used to playing 50 over cricket. Nobody plays 50 yeah. over cricket in the U S and not so, only that they play a lot of 50 over cricket for their age group in the countries, South Africa, West Indies, whereas we would only play with our local club teams on the weekend. And then we'll come together for the tournament and then go play. I mean, so when you were, factors, when you were coming, I mean, you knew Perkins, so obviously you, yeah. you weren't you weren't overawed by him. But some of these other no. guys you're coming up against, and in the Australia team, I'll just run through them quick. Way back when, I think some people might forget about it, but in 2006, Moses Henriquez, yeah. he was already being anointed in 2006. They were going to fast track him into the Ashes squad for 2007. Oh yeah, and he was going to be future Australia Test captain, and he was going to be like a hundred Test player. He was he was like God he was the guy at under 19 level. So he captained the Australia under-19 team. You had Matthew Wade opening the batting, Tom Cooper, who has since gone on to play for the Netherlands. He had Aaron Finch, Aaron Finch, David Warner, Finch. Ben, ben Cutting. These are some heavyweights you guys were coming up against. Uh, you played very respectable. You held your own. Yep. What of all these things and all these teams and players you came up against, if you had to pick one thing that you felt prevented you from winning those key moments – and being able to push on and try and get a victory, what do you think was the number one thing you guys were lacking? Just when- practice. It, 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 to me, it's going to fall back to practice. Like, I would say practice and structure, I would think, would have been the main thing. I, I personally think if we had two, three months of preparation before that tournament, I'm not saying we beat those teams, but I'm saying it's a lot closer than what it was. Did you feel overawed at all against, like I say, not Perkins, but when you hear about Moses Enriquez and Warner and some of these other guys, did you feel like, oh my God, like I can't believe I'm playing on no. Or did you feel no. like you were on the same par with them? Once we got there, we weren't, it's on the 19. We're not thinking about none of these guys. We don't know them. It's just, we're going to a tournament, we're going to perform and try to play. In all of our minds, you could ask any one of the guys from on the 19, we were going there to win. Like, we were like, yo, this is a chance for us to show them, like, yo, what we could do. We were going there to win. We wanted to beat West Indies. We wanted to beat South Africa. We wanted to beat Australia. Yes, it wasn't going to be easy. But all we were thinking is, hey, let's get up there and win. Remember, these guys, now looking back, they're like, oh, my goodness. What a spot. But back then, we're all young. You know, we're all trying to make a name for ourselves. So it's not like, oh, my goodness, we're facing Australia. We got to watch out for this guy, watch out for that guy. You understand where I'm coming from? It was more of, hey, man, we're playing Australia. You know what Australia's senior team is. You know what their level of cricket is all the way down to the roots. Let's try and put up a good fight. But what I'm saying is if we had an opportunity to, back then, I'm pretty sure before they came to the World Cup in Chicago, they probably had months of training. Like you were saying, Henrik was supposed to be fast track. He probably had months of playing first class and all that stuff. We got a bunch of guys who got to go to school. And after school, somebody got to go to work and then they play once a week. 
So we didn't have a chance to do a lot of practice and prepare for it as well as the other teams, the other test playing countries, whereas they have cricket from the bottom all the way up. That's, that's what I think. In the plate competition, you played against New Zealand. So in the loser's bracket, for people who don't understand what the plate competition is, mm-hmm. every, everybody's guaranteed to play the same number of games, win or lose, mm-hmm. on the World Cup. But if you're in the top two of your group, you go into the winner's bracket, bottom two of your group, you go into the loser's bracket, which is the plate competition. Well, I almost had them. <laughs> you had uh, against New Zealand, you played against Todd Assel, Martin Guptill, Tim Southie, Colin Monroe. Listen to the names. And then, and then going back even to the warm-up games against Bangladesh, Tama McBall scores a century against USA in a warm-up game. Never forget that. They were captained by – he scored 104 not out of 64 balls. They were captained by Moshfiqur Rahim. You had Shakib Alassane in the team. These teams are stacked. Is there one player – now, you, you said you'll never forget that innings with him. Is there one player you came up against in those games, whether it was the warm-up games, the unofficial games before the start, or the tournament itself, that coming up on the opposite side of the field – you felt, regardless of what you might have heard, reputation-wise, being said in whatever media before the tournament, is the one player you came up against, you saw them on the field, taking them on, on the opposite side, where you thought, oh, my God, this guy's going to be the next superstar in world cricket. And there was a couple of players. It wasn't only one. But I can tell you, Tamin was one for sure. That was a shocker. That was a warm-up game. So what he did to us now, warm-up game, we were like, man, we're at the win the big leagues. I mean, he went off. He 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 went off. If I could recall, he probably scored a hundred and maybe forty or less deliveries, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it was a crazy innings against Bangladesh. He he stood out to me. A guy that a lot of people don't talk about is the South African opening pace bowler. I for sure thought that he was gonna be. The next big thing. He was the fastest in the tournament. Craig Alexander, who played an awful lot of franchise cricket. Man, they had a fast bowler. He was quick. I was like, yeah, he's the next one. I mean, I think they had us three wickets down for no runs in that game. With a new ball, he had he got Suman Bari out, yeah. Golden Duck, Akeem Dodson out, oh, Golden Duck. Akeem, that's the guy. First two, first two balls in the match. Bold and bold. Yes. Suman Bari and Akeem Dodson. And then he had Hamad Bunu out for Duck as well in his next yes. over. So, Listen to this game, right? This, this, is, this is crazy, right, about that game. We're going out to bat. We have the speech. Let's go out there. Bat all the overs. You know the speech. Bat all the overs. Put up a good total. That's always the speech. Bat all 50 overs. Give yourself a chance to win the game, right? All right, cool. No problem. Cool. One, two, three, USA, let's go. You know, we're supporting our guys and cheering. And walking back to the seat, because you got to go upstairs. Like, ah! One guy out. I'm like, oh, man, that's crazy. What What happened? Sit down. The next ball. Ah! I'm like, no, dude, this is not happening. And we lose three wickets. And this guy is bowling quick. He's like, he's, he's flying. So we lose, I think we lose Dotson. We lose. You were three for one. The first three wickets mm-hmm. fell in the first 13 balls. It was first two balls to match. Suman Bari, Akeem Dotson bowled by Alexander. And then his first ball of his next over in the third, he uh, got him on Punu LBW. Yeah, that dude was flying. Never seen that, that kind of pace. Now, remember, I was bowling quick. Dominique was bowling quick. So all guys, like, had a chance to bat against us. But that guy was bowling another level quick. 
looking around the dressing room. I was like, yo, coach. Coach was um, Larry Bones. I said, coach, let me go. Let me go. <laughs> let me go, coach. He's like, what? I was like, let me go, man. I'm good. I, I know. Let me go play. Because, I mean, obviously, he's bowling fast. So the coach was like, all right, then, cool. Go ahead. You know, stand up on the bat. Dig deep. Do your thing. And I'm coming from Antigua, where, man, fast bowling is fast bowling. That's all you get in Antigua is fast bowling. I wasn't really worried about the fast bowling. I go in and I tell the other guy with Ben, I say, yo, all we got to do is just stick around for a couple of overs. And then when they bring on the other bowlers, we'll try to, you know, try to do something, try to make a little bit, a total, a respectable total. And that guy, Alexander, you know, he bowled the first ball to me short, let it go. And he, you know, he ran down in the face, said a few words. And I'm like, man, come on, man. I'm like, yo. I'm like, come on, man, go bowl, man. You ain't even bowling that fast, man. Relax, man, you know? So daddy, I forgot who was batting with, man. I forgot. He says, hey, man, don't do that, man. Don't don't, don't get him mad. I said, man, relax, man. It's okay. I said, look, let's just tap out of the overs and we'll we'll get we'll get out of this. And I took him on. I, I, I took him on, you know, got, got a couple of runs off of him. And they changed him. They brought us another bowler, a medium bowler. Took a couple out of his over, and then the game started to, the momentum kind of started to shift back our way. And then we dug in a little bit more, but we didn't end up scoring what we wanted to score. So they won that game. But he was a game changer. He was a game changer. You top scored in that match for USA 41 off 38 balls. Yeah. You had four, four, I felt like a clown that game. Four fours and three sixes. LBW, right? I you, think I got LBW that game. You no, it says you're bold. Says you're a bold. Bold, yeah. Went to to push the ball around instead of keep beating the ball. That was a mistake I made. But yeah, that was a good one. But yeah, those two guys, Tamin and that bowler. I don't know what happened to him, but I'm surprised. I mean, he was really quick, Peter. Really, really quick. What was your if you had to pick one favorite part of that experience? What would you say was the best part? Whether it was something on the field, off the field. Just traveling around a, a stadium or teammate experience, anything you can the, think of. What what would be the, your number one favorite part of that under nineteen World Cup experience in two thousand and six? I think the best part of that World Cup for me was when we beat Namibia. Crazy game. To this day, I always say this, right? We played at Colombo Stadium, and the biggest six I have ever seen hit in my life. Romero Dean, he hit the bowler straight back over his head out of the park. Massive. Ask anybody from the 2019 World Cup about that shot that he hit. Then he got right out the next ball. But he hit that six, and it, it's not that he hit a big six. It was a crucial six that brought us closer to winning that game. That, that was, I forgot about that. That was one of the craziest moments. He hit the ball out of the stadium. But a lot of people don't remember. We, I think we came 12 out of 16 teams in that tournament. We ended at 12, right? You guys chased down a target of 220 with an over to spare. It was close. And it was close. Uh, you won by two wickets. So like you said, uh, Romano Dean hits the six and gets out next ball. It was Dominic O'Dane and, and Abimon. Yeah, they had a, a mix up. <laughs> they got USA with a line. That victory. So, and, and just looking at the scorecard again. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Well, no, for, for well, you opened the batting, you scored 19, opened the batting, <laughs> two fours and a six. But I, bigger picture, 
and this is kind of transitioning to the, to the next topic, the talent on the team. You mentioned Timbawala, mentioned Dotson. Uh, a couple of guys we haven't mentioned, Nisark Patel and Maruno Patel. Oh, Nisark, Nisark Patel currently yep, USA national guy. team player. He's been a good all-rounder for USA in the last mm-hmm. two years, especially effective as a left-arm spinner. But he also, until Steven Taylor broke the record, Nisark had the fastest 50 by a USA yep. player in, in ODIs that he achieved in Nepal in February 2020. Mm-hmm. So the point is, there are some quality players, guys who represented yes. the senior team. Robbie Timbalala yes. represented the senior team. Akeem Dodson. Munal Patel. Akeem Dodson, a longtime senior team player. Murnal Patel, Nisark Patel, Abhimanyu Rajab all made it to yep. the senior team. So there's five guys just in that lineup card who all made it to USA senior team down the road. But yet, some of those guys, it took an awful long time. And the suspensions that USA at USACA had were part of it. Yep. But there's a lot of other factors that were involved. What, if anything, in particular, I know there's a lot of things, but if there's, if there's one thing in particular <laughs> that you could think of that you felt held you guys back from developing quicker or developing to the same caliber of player that guys in test nations who played for all these teams, like you know, ran down the list of all the names that were in these under-19 squads for South Africa, Australia, West Indies, Bangladesh, who went on to have incredible senior team players. Yeah. You guys and didn't careers. have that. Even within the associate level, you guys did not have the same caliber of senior team career necessarily as the guys from the corresponding countries that if there's one thing you could pinpoint as to why you guys didn't develop in the way that these players in other countries do, from your own experiences, what do you think happened that held you guys back? For me, it's going to fall back to the same thing that, I mean, you know, we all know, it falls back to structure. There was no there was no structure in place for when we came back. That sums it up well for me, because if you look back at it, once we came back from the under 19 World Cup, if I'm not mistaken, Yusaka got suspended. So with that suspension, there is no cricket. After the under 19 World Cup, we placed 12, we came back home, you know, good job, guys. You did what you could do. Then that's it. No more cricket. Cricket's done. I have nothing else to look forward to. Whereas I'm pretty sure the other guys, when they get back, they get to fall back to their local club team. They get to go back to their state, county, and continue playing, continue training. Those who are still young, young enough, go back and start training for the next World Cup to represent the team if they can. And the other guys are looking forward to ex- expanding in the career and making it a full-blown job in a professional cricketer. Whereas our guys were like, hey, great job. You went to the World Cup, but guess what? You just got suspended, so you're on your own. So I, I would put it on a structure and probably the organization. You transitioned with that lack of opportunity, that lack of structure. One of the things I want to get to next is what you were led to in your professional career. You wound up oh. enlisting in the Air Force. <laughs> yep. And join the military. Join the military. But before that, before we get to that, there was one more unofficial tour that you took part of. You went to India. And I have a question that was sent in by uh, one of our Patreon subscribers, Patreon listeners, Amir mm. Absoludin, who is also a former USA oh, player. Oh, yes. Oh, player. man. Uh, he, he has a question. He has a question he sent in, notified me. You were on tour, this unofficial tour with him to India. And he says, mm. you're the first player he's ever seen who managed to go through an entire tour surviving only on ice cream. And he, he wants to know, how did you have the stamina and the six-hitting power and the energy to play day in, day out when all you ate on the entire tour was ice cream? Hey, there's a story behind that, right? He's the clown for that. Tell him I said that. 
when we got to that tour, I was a roommates with Roy Weeks, a very good cricketer from South Florida. Back in the day, he was one of the top batsmen, top all-rounder. I mean, he would score 100 every weekend. He was my roommate. As soon as we get there, you know, you get welcome to India, you get the flowers, you get the greeting, and they have a, a banquet set up for us to go and celebrate. When I get there, there's a lot of food, you know, smells good, rice and everything. And there's a whole bunch of different, you know, choices to eat. So I'm like, I've never seen this before. It's my first time here in India. I've never seen, like, I was like, what is this? What is this green stuff? Chicken. What is that red stuff? Chicken. What is this orange stuff? Chicken. I'm like, okay. I guess they make the chicken different, you know? So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to have, you know, some ice cream and relax and chill, you know? Roy's like, come on, man, you're in a, you're in a new country for your first time. You got to experience the culture. He grabs everything. <laughs> He's eating and having a good time. And then it didn't sit too well with him. He, 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 had a, he had a rough night. So that's the reason why I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to stick to the ice cream. <laughs> but it wasn't just ice cream. I had a rice and, you know, barbecue, but. I left the other stuff for him. So that's why he probably asked that question because of that. I didn't want to go through Roy's experience because he was out with the sweats because of that. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. Yeah, that was a good tour, man. Man, that's a good question. Now he's bringing back memories. We had a good time on that tour. This was in 2007, September 2007. You went to India on that tour. More than Then around that time, you enlisted in the military. You joined the Air Force. So, again, the lack of options cricket-wise, professionally, or even amateur-wise, with USAC under suspension, the prospects are looking bleak. Yeah, because there was nothing. What made you join the military? I always wanted to be a professional cricketer. That was my goal back then. And I thought it was over for my dream when I moved to Florida. I was like, it was my dream. I can't go to West Indies no more. I'm done. Then I found cricket in Florida. Then I went to our 19 World Cups. I'm like, yo. There's a shot for me to present the USA probably go to the next level. But like I said, once we came back from that tour, I think Yusaka got suspended and there was a whole bunch of um, stuff going on in the background when it comes to the organization. And there was no communication. Like all communication was gone. You know, I would keep calling, trying to figure out what's next, you know, what's next for us. But there was nothing coming out. So I made the decision, man. I can't just sit around here getting older know, waiting for this dream to come through. So I joined the service. When I spoke to a recruiter and he broke it down to me, told me what it was, what it involves. And I joined the Air Force in 2007. What made you join the Air Force specifically as opposed to joining the Army or the Navy? Because when I went to the recruiter's office, there was the Navy, Marines, Air Force, Coast Guard. They were all in one office. And I went to each one to stay where they were going to stay. I literally walked past the Air Force building. I went. You know, talk to the guys over the Coast Guard, see what they had to say, spoke to the Navy, spoke to the Marines. And then finally, before I left, I stopped in the recruiter's office or the Air Force. Never forget, recruiter Sean Murphy. I just asked, hey, can you give me an explanation of why, you know, why I should join the Air Force? <laughs> How he broke it down, he said, pretty much, this is what I'm going to tell you. He said, if there's a war going on, just throwing it out there. If there's a war going on in Germany, right? The Marines are going to go in first. Right, maybe he's gonna go on the coast and you know survey. Just his analogy back then to me. 
and then the army is going to go in behind the Marines. So he says, guess what we're going to do? I don't know. I'm guessing you're going to tell me. He's like, well, we're going to probably go to maybe like Spain or something. And we're going to set up shop over there. And they're going to call us and say what they need. And we're going to fly over, drop it off, and come right back. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I was like, I know what I'm going to join. That was it. That's pretty much it. That's all he told me. And that's how I joined. 10 years. I did 10 years in the Air Force. So you did 10 years in the Air Force. And what rank did you achieve by the time you left? Staff Sergeant. Yep. Staff Sergeant. And take me through from the start. Where did you go for basic training? How extensive was that? And then I know you spent a significant amount of time at McDill Air Force Base in. Oh, yeah. Whole career. Whole Whole career career. at McDill. Okay. Um, um, where, would you, where did you go for basic training? And compared to your cricket experiences growing up, what was the hardest part of transitioning to life in the military? I went to basic training in Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas. And that was six weeks, different shock. I never forget the first time when I got home. Everything was all good. You know, you got the vouchers and everything. Get something to eat. It's on the plane. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's talking. I never forget when we landed in uh, San Antonio, you know, we're all happy and stuff and everyone. Then walking out of the um, terminal, just hear yelling. <laughs> I'm like, what? Get to the terminal, like, sit down here. I'm like, holy moly, what did I sign up for? Really? Straight out of the airport? And then you get on the bus and we pull up to the gate at Lackland Air Force Base and guy on the bus says, take a look at the gate, because that's the last time you're going to see it, six weeks. <laughs> well, and I was like, I probably shouldn't have done this. <laughs> but we uh, go through, and I mean, it was it was good. It was learning experience. I mean, learn a lot about leadership, you know, teamwork, learn about history of the military, history of the Air Force. Training was good. I mean, I wasn't worried about the training because Obviously, I was playing cricket, playing sports, athletic. So the running and all that stuff didn't phase me to push and all that stuff. But just learning about military leadership, military structure, that was probably the um, the main thing that I would take away from, from the Air Force. Love it, man. Lovely, lovely memories, a lot of experience. And I got to travel all over the world. That was good. But um, after Shepard, I went to, after Lackland, I went to Shepard on my job. Another base in Texas. And I was there for a couple months, November to January. And this is the craziest part, right? So I'm done with um cricket and everything. Cause I'm like, yo, I'm not gonna get picked. I'm not gonna get a chance to represent the USA because they got suspended. So I picked my locations. I picked <laughs> England, <laughs> hoping that I could go there and play cricket. I picked the two bases in England, uh, a couple of the overseas bases, Japan and stuff, hoping that, hey, man, maybe if I get to England, I can play cricket, show the guys what I could do, and I get Tampa. <laughs> yep. So that's how that went. Came to Tampa, Florida, and that was it. I stayed here ever since. Now you talk about, oh, I was trying to pick England I was hoping that if I could get selected in, and yeah. in England I could continue with cricket it was a thought in my head but you continued you were able to continue playing cricket yes because cricket. I got I got Tampa 
and Tampa is an hour and 20 minutes from Orlando. So it's like, shoot, let's do it. But from talking to one of your superiors for one of the stories that did in you way back when, the impression I got was that they were quite supportive. There's this stereotype and this connotation that people sometimes have about cricket and that, oh, it's Americans don't understand it and they're not willing to support it really. But from the people I spoke to who were involved in the military when you were still in the service, they seemed to be quite not, not only understanding, but very supportive of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was your what was your relationship like with your fellow officers and whether it was superiors or subordinates or people who were in the same rank as you during your military career, how they approached you and how they interacted with you when they became aware of not just your interest in cricket and your love and passion for playing cricket, but the fact that not only were you representing USA in the military, but you had represented USA on the field of play in a World Cup. They were cool. I mean, they always knew that I was talented, but when they found out that I played cricket, because I would play flag football. I mean, I'm always into sports, no matter what it is. I'm finding sport I'm going to play. I played basketball on the base team. I played soccer for the base team. I played flag football on base. It was like, man, Nate's, Nate's an athlete, man. He's a beast, you know? And then I didn't really talk much about cricket, but then once they found out that, hey, man, you, I play cricket because I was scared I got to go to a tournament here, I got to go to a tournament here. They're like, cricket? Who plays cricket? But then I got to explain it to them. They didn't know what it was, and I did. And they were cool. They're like, man, show me. So I have to show them what it was, show them on TV. I bring a, I take a bat to work, take a ball to work. Show me how you hit this. What do you do? So they were just all interested in to learn what it was about. And it was the same for all, all the um the shops that I worked in in the Air Force. Everybody was just interested. Yo, what? For real? You say, what? What what is that? So I spent a lot of time telling them what it was. And like you said, they were supportive. They were behind me. They wanted to see me do well. Dune, how close were you to getting a cricket ground built at McDill Air Force Base? Base. I, I was not that close, <laughs> <laughs> but I was close to organizing a um, tennis ball game in the middle of the field, the track field. I was close to organizing one of those, but we didn't get enough people to go out there. But it was cool though. I played in the gym though. I took the, the tennis ball and stuff, and I showed them in the gym one day, and they were having a field day. But that was the closest I got. What was your favorite part of being in the military? Too many favorite parts, man. I think deploying was one of my favorite. Both deployments, one to Kyrgyzstan and one to Qatar, was probably my favorite moments in the military. The fact that I deployed to another part of the world that I didn't even know existed, coming from St. Croix, Antigua to Florida, and then boom, here you go. You're going to go deploy to another country for eight, nine months. A little scary, but very interesting. I had fun on both deployments. I'll go with those two. If you had to pick which was more, not necessarily fun, but which one was a more meaningful or profound experience for you in terms of the deployments you got to have overseas compared to the places you got to visit on your cricket journey overseas, which one was more meaningful to you? You know what? I, I, I love cricket. Cricket took me all over the world, but my deployment to Qatar was an awesome experience. My deployment to Qatar, while I was over there, USA was playing a tournament 
not too far from me. And I remember I would have conversations with them, like, yo, come on, man, you guys go win this. I thought all the guys and stuff. And I was like, man, I'm so close. Why don't I get a ride to go watch a game? But um, that guitar one was probably the best one. That, that, was, that was the best performance. Met a lot of great people, still have great friendship with them. And it was just, it was a great time. After 10 years, your time finishes. What was the thing that made you say, I've had a good time here, but I think I want to move on to something else and, and look to change careers? Put it this way, I deployed a lot. I mean, I would have wanted to do 20 years and make it a career and retire at 20, but I deployed a couple of times and my son was getting a little bit older. He wasn't a baby no more. And I just felt like I needed to spend a little bit more time with him and not be gone so long. So ultimately, I made a decision to move on. Let me ask you this. So there's an awful lot of stuff that's been happening, obviously, in the last year, year and a half around America, racial tensions after the murder of George Floyd and everything that's come out of that in the Black Lives Matter movement. As somebody who played for USA and served in the military, two very, very prestigious things in terms of representing the country and very, very symbolic patriotically. Now, fast forward to recent times and what's going on in the country. As, as a Black man who, again, represented the country, how do you feel about the state of affairs in the country and where do you see things going that, that need to change to help the country come back to be a bit more unified and heal? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a question, a question. <laughs> um, I mean, I observe a lot. Obviously, a lot has happened. And everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own ideas of what needs to be done and what can get done. But for me personally, I'm not trying to be selfish or anything, but I think I just mainly focus on how I could become a better person, you know, how I could work on myself to do right and do what's best for me and my family. You know where I'm coming from? That's mainly my focus, just doing the right things, trying to be a good role model for my son and try to take care of my family and set them up for the long run, especially my son. That's my main focus. So I mainly just try to, take it one day at a time, obviously, go to work, do what I need to do to take care of the family and establish a foundation that I can leave a legacy for myself. I mean, a lot is going on, even with the COVID and all that stuff. And like you said, the George Floyd and, and all that stuff, but I just try to focus on what I can control. And that's just my surroundings, my immediate family and who's around me. How do you feel about I guess America now, after having served in the military in the context of what's gone on in recent years, do you feel, do you still feel a great source of pride having represented USA in both the ways that you did? Or definitely. Yeah, of course. I'm always feel pride. I'm always be proud. I mean, I did 10 years in the, the Air Force and I had a great time. Like I said, I learned a lot, learned a lot of valuable lessons. I mean, I got a wealth of knowledge from them, learned leadership, structure, military. There's nothing else I could say about that. As far as representing the country of the USA, same thing. You know, I was proud to wear the colors. I, I'm still trying to wear it again. <laughs> Let's throw that out there. I know, I know we've talked about this a lot, but yeah, man, it was great. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to know that I was talented enough to make the list of players to represent the country and did it for Antigua in the youth level. I did it for USA in the youth level. And I couldn't be more proud. 
you sound like somebody who really loves the country. Yes, definitely. Proud, definitely. proud American. What, what for you is the proudest part of being an American for you? Opportunity, man. Uh, the opportunity is here. You know, you know, everybody always says, oh, but America, you have an opportunity. And you're just like, oh, yeah. You know, or even back home, you're like, yeah, everybody says the same thing. But then when you actually get in, you get to soak it all in. You're like, man, if I really work hard enough, I can actually do something. So I would say the opportunity is here endless. And I'm just happy that my mom forced me to come here in 2003. <laughs> now I can look back and say I'm happy. And, um, you know, special shout outs to my aunt for taking me in, giving me another chance. And even Dwayne, Dwayne Daniels for showing me that there was tribute here. So that's how I would, I would look at it. Opportunities, man, it's here, it's here. It's the land of opportunity. It's been that way yes, for 200, is. 300 yeah. plus years. I, I find this fascinating hearing you say this because my experience is traveling around the world. Uh -huh. Talking to people who, are have have traveled extensively or who, who grew up somewhere else and then they come to america their outlook at times is very very different compared to people who grew up in america and it just fascinates me and i i'm just curious whether it's having grown up in antigua or the deployments you had overseas and the opportunities you got to see how people live in other parts of the world what kind of impact did that have in terms of your appreciation for being an american it, it has impact because when you go to different countries and come from the West Indies or coming from deployments and stuff, you get to see a different culture, a different lifestyle. Even as cricketers traveling around the world, you get to see different places, like when they went to India or Sri Lanka. So you have an idea of, hey, man, this is how these people are living overseas or this is how they're living here in the Caribbean. I know how I was raised. I know how I was how I grew up Caribbean. So then when you're here in America now and you have a chance to do something, it's like, man, maybe I what I'm able to accomplish here, I wouldn't be able to accomplish if it was back home. Or, you know, I mean, some people don't have the chance or the opportunity to come over here to try to make a name for themselves, take advantage of it. They only know, you know, what they have in their culture. So it just lets you see the world. I mean, not just, oh, I'm here, but I got a chance to see different culture, different people. Now, when I go back home, I know, hey, man, just got to work harder, give 100% because you just never know you were here where you could have been make sense perfect sense land yeah, of opportunity like you said exactly the, the ability to just if you got a will there's a way and yeah, no better place to make it happen yeah. anywhere in the world than in america for sure multiple yeah. multiple ways you've shown that you've shown that time and time again with all the things yeah. that you've done to represent the country on and off the field and it's a tremendous to see and to hear you share those experiences. And I hope people who are watching and listening also get to appreciate the things yep. that you've done and, and how you share them. Yep, good stuff. All right, Janae, time for the favorite 11. You know how it goes, 11 <laughs> questions. Could be anything and everything. But before we get to that, I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. Dream Cricket Pavilion Shop can help you fill all of your cricket kit requirements from top-of-the-line English wool bats made by all the top manufacturers, as well as helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, highlight DVDs, books, and more. Get 10% off all orders over $400 using coupon code DCUSA. That's DCUSA. Go to shop.dreamcricket.com to take advantage of that offer today. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. 
For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. Dune Nathaniel, favorite 11. Sir, let's go. Here we go. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour. Anil, that's easy. Anil Diopasad, my boy. He knows. <laughs> you forgive him for that job, Paul William Perkins? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Harkening back. I forgive to him the same time it happened. <laughs> going back to the conversation about Amir Absolutin, question number two. What is your favorite kind of ice cream? Vanilla. <laughs> Why would you ask that question? Vanilla. Your favorite city or favorite country you have toured, whether for cricket or in the military? I know you touched on a couple of them, but if you had to pick one city or one country in particular, what was your favorite touring destination as a representative of the USA? I have to go, I'll go with India. I toured India twice. Um, shout out to Kurum and Ashok for giving us the opportunity to tour, but I toured India twice and that was probably one of my best experiences on tour representing the country. Your favorite cricket ground experience that you've had as a player or as a fan. And when I say that, I mean, not just the quality of the pitches and the quality of the stadium facility, but the training facilities are available at the ground, the scenery, whether it's the scenery inside the ground or the scenery kind of in the background, outside the ground, the quality of the lunches, the teas, everything that goes into a cricket ground experience. What's your favorite cricket ground anywhere in the world? Can I pick two? <laughs> we'll, we'll, see what the two we'll see what the two are, and then I'll, I might have to, to, to throw up a timer. Uh, so in, in my experiences as playing, my favorite cricket ground, I'd have to go with Antigua Recreation Ground. Yes. With a 50 there against a touring English team way back when, when it was still functioning. So that's number one, Antigua Recreation Ground. And then... I don't remember the name of this stadium, but we played in uh, India. It was in Hyderabad. It's a big stadium. It has a, some statues up front with some tennis players and stuff. If I'm not mistaken. Those were the two. Yeah, I have to go down. Antigua Recreation Ground. A lot of history of that ground, man. So I hold that one right here. I hold that one right there. And that, um, got to get that name to you, man, of that stadium we played. We toured there before the Under-19 World Cup. We made a tour to India before going to Sri Lanka, and we played a night game in that facility. Crazy. The amount of people that was there for us playing on the 19 team was ridiculous. Your favorite cricketer of all time. Can I pick two? <laughs> Again. I have two, yes. I have five. My favorite is going to be Viv Richards, man. A lot of people are going to say this. I'll, I'll say your favorite non-relative. The favorite cricketer you're not related to. Chris Gale. Chris Gale is my guy. Everybody that knows me know I love Chris Gale. That's my boy. Chris Gale is my boy. Story about Chris Gale, right? When I was playing with the Hayden Walsh Technical Cricket Academy, the West Indies team was training, and Hayden's dad had us mingle with them, and we were allowed to bowl and play with them. And it was Chris Gale, uh, it was Sean DePaul, Laura. I mean, this is way back when. And I had an opportunity to bowl at um, Chris Gale. And I, I was already a fan of Chris Gale. Because back then, he wasn't the Chris Gale that we know, the universe boss. Back then, he was the stroke player, Chris Gale. That his favorite shot was a square drive. 
a lot of people don't know that Chris Gale early on was a top test batsman. He has a lot of test runs. Well, his favorite he, shot was the square wears, drive. Well, he wears three thirty three on the back of his jersey for a reason. Yeah, well, I hope they know what that means. I hope they really understand what that means. So that was his shot. You know, he would just come out early on, no matter who was bowling early on in the innings, he'll get you that square drive. And I had a chance to bowl at him in the nets. And I bowled. He just blocked the ball, and it almost took me out. And I was like, I looked at Devon Thomas because he was there. And I said, did you did you see that? Like, he played a forward defense, and the ball almost broke my ankle. And I was sold from there. Chris Gale, best in the world. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Kobe Bryant. Mamba. Kobe. He's not cocky. He's confident. I love that. Do not, he always says, do not mistake my confidence for arrogance. Kobe Bryant, best ever. Love him. Rest in peace, Mamba. Your favorite place to eat out on tour? Any Chinese spot close by? <laughs> any, any Chinese place? What's your go-to menu item? What's your go-to menu item at a Chinese restaurant then? General So, all day. General Cho's General chicken. So chicken. <laughs> Are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? Coke. Sorry. Coke. It's the only way to go. You, you, oh. you made the right <laughs> choice. Coke. Can't beat the real thing, Junae. Yeah, Coke. <laughs> Favorite pizza topping? Cheese. <laughs> I'm a regular cheese pizza. That's it. That's cheese. Extra cheese. That's it. A proud member of the Kevin McAllister <laughs> Cheese Pizza Club. <laughs> can't, beat the, can't beat the original. <laughs> Join the club. I, I I love it. There's been a, a number of guests on the show who are who are proud, very proud members of the Kevin McAllister Cheese Pizza Club, and I'm I'm glad to hear that you are a member of the club as well today. Your favorite movie of all time? Oh my goodness, that's that's a hard question. You can't have one favorite movie at all time. Let me guess. You're gonna have two. You always got two for everything. I know, right? <laughs> that's a tough one, but I'm gonna just throw out one that I I really really like: Shawshank Redemption. That's the one that I could watch anytime. So I'm going to throw that out there. Shawshank Redemption. Titanic came second, but I don't want to, I don't want to go on that, down that boat. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think anybody wants to go down on that boat, Gune. Yo, I'm, ta- I'm talking about the Titanic, though. You had to, you had to watch two VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're dating yourself. Uh, you're only 34, but you talk like you're a 60-year-old man talking about oh, my bad. putting the VHS into two. two Shawshank days. Redemption. Let's stick with that one. Now, Shawshank Redemption. It was, Shawshank was long, but not long enough where you needed to stick in the Yeah, second. not that long. We had to take this out, put the other one in and pop it in. <laughs> oh, you had to rewind to your favorite part. <laughs> yeah, rewind it before you return it to Blockbuster Video or else you get a fine. Yep. Hey. <laughs> Some of your followers might not even know what Blockbuster is, so be careful. <laughs> Last question. Your favorite show to binge watch, whether it's Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, DVD box set, what's your go-to show that when you're stuck with nowhere to be and no place to go, you can watch it for hours and hours at a time? Power series. I'm, I'm into the power series. And I'm, I can watch that anytime, anywhere. From the original one all the way down to what's on right now. Now, where is that? Oh, that's um, Amazon Prime Stars. It's a show um, directed by 50 Cent. So that one I can watch anywhere. You got Power, you got Raising Kane, and the whole bunch, the whole bunch of series back and back to back. So I'll stick with that. Power. I don't answer. Junae Nathaniel, 
Thank you so much for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I'll give you the final word. Anything you want to say or you want people to know about you and your love affair with cricket that they don't already know about you? I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody know. I mean, I love cricket. There ain't no if ands about it. All I do is talk cricket, play cricket. Um, you know, I'm still active. I'm still active. Y'all didn't know. Go back and watch the minor league tapes. At the end of the day, man, I just want to see the country go forward with cricket. I want to see the youngsters coming up, um, give it 100%. They have a better opportunity now than we had back in the day. I mean, back in the day, um, it wasn't as much opportunity as it is today. So if you guys are watching out there, give it 100%, especially with the minor league. And hopefully USA can, um, you know, have a bright future moving forward. A lot of talent here. So let's see what happens. But other than that, just want to, I mean, Shout out to Dwayne. Like I said, Dwayne Daniels, he was, he played a vital part in Dunay Nathaniel playing cricket here. Shout out to Ashok Patel. He doesn't get a lot of mention, but he actually took us on a tour in that before we went to the World Cup. So uh, he doesn't get a lot of um, kudos, but congrats to him. Thank you to him. And Kuam Saeed, he's a big part of it as well. And um, shout out to the Orlando Galaxy. Can't forget, got a shout out to the Orlando Galaxy for giving me the opportunity to captain the galaxy in the inaugural season. And we shot a lot of people and we came second place. We had a goal to make the playoffs and we'll be back next year. And we're going to go all the way. Raul Joshi, thank you for trusting me and Kunal and staff and management. Minor league. Watch out for us next year. That's pretty much it, man, Peter. <laughs> I can't wait to see it happen. I think not just yourself, but a lot of people are looking forward to minor league cricket franchise competition continuing next year. So yeah. people will definitely be keeping an eye out for Orlando Galaxy and you as part of that Orlando Galaxy team. So thank you again, Janae Nathaniel, for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, boss. So from representing USA in Sri Lanka at the 2006 Under-19 World Cup to representing America in the United States military as part of the Air Force to now playing minor league cricket for the Orlando Galaxy, Dune Nathaniel, he is one of the most well-traveled and experienced cricketers and people you'll come across anywhere in the United States cricket community. So thanks to Dune for coming on the show and thank you to all of our servicemen and women in the armed forces, whether that's the Air Force like Dune, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, Coast Guard, anybody who's representing America, we thank you for your service. That's it for this week's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I'm Peter Dolphin reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket.